Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today is Don Finto. Don, for people that don't know who you are, can you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? Well, right now I'm from uh, basically Nashville, Tennessee, live a little south of there. And uh, I was, well, I was a professor at Lipscomb University. I was in Germany eight years and then professor at Lipscomb for eight eight years and then pastor of Belmont Church down on Music Row for 25 plus years. And then when I left there, I started Caleb Company because I wanted to challenge old people to still take their mountains when they're 85 (laughs) and beyond, like the biblical Caleb. And Caleb's descendants inherited the land. That fits in with what you're talking about. I wanted to help raise up the next generations. I thought, in fact, the Lord told me that he didn't want me to be the point person for the rest of my life. He wanted me almost like to back away a bit and help raise up the next generation. And then Mm. Caleb was wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord all the days of his life. He didn't flip out when he was 60 or 70 and do something stupid. He was passionately the Lord's all of his life. And so I called it Caleb Company. And we've actually just recently begun to call ourselves Caleb Global because we're involved always with Israel. We can't go there right now, but we have teams right now in Egypt and Iraq and some going to Turkey. And we we believe we're to, our, our little vision statement is to ignite revival in Israel, the Middle East and the nations. And, and we love it. And of course, I was talking to you earlier. I mean, obviously it has to be intergenerational. If I didn't have young friends, I wouldn't have any friends because all of mine have moved on with the Lord. I mean, basically all of them have gone. And, but I've got, I've got lots of friends because we're, I mean, I had a group of guys in the apartment this morning. I've sold my house. I'm in an apartment now. I'm, no, I'm two bedroom apartment and no storage. I'm simplifying my life. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm loving it. So uh, that's probably more than you wanted to know. But anyway. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, and now I know you've got a lot of resources. You've got books uh, that I recommend people go to get. Um, if people want to find out about Caleb Company or Caleb Global, uh, find your resources. Where can they do that? Uh, they can go to, I mean, of course, CalebCompany.org will always be there. But it's also Caleb.Global. They can go online. And yeah, they're... There really are three books now. There's an earlier copy of Your People Shall Be Not People, but people need to get the latest copy because, which came out again in four years ago, because it has these, I love it, it has these testimonies of at the end of every chapter, how somebody is responding to what was said in that chapter. Mm. I, mean, uh, I mean, for example, David McQueen, who's pastor of Beltway Park Baptist Church in Abilene, Texas, didn't have the Israel key. But when he became a pastor, he wanted to travel with me. And so I said, okay, I'm going to the Messianic Jewish Alliance. Come go with me. And he thought, well, I'll tolerate whatever that is that Don has with Israel in order to travel with him. But when he came, I gave him a manuscript copy of Your People. It hadn't been published yet. And I said, why don't you read some of this so that you'll know what we're getting into? <laughs> he thought I wanted to critique it. So he takes this red pen. He had never written anything. <laughs> and starts going through the book to critique it. And when he gets, we get on the plane, 
And he gets up to get his Bible. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I think you've misquoted the scripture. And I knew I hadn't, but it was Romans 11, 12. Mm. Their transgression means riches for the world. And their loss means riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their fullness bring? He, he, he almost turned pale, he says. He, he said, I've read that. I've taught it. I've read it in Greek. I've never seen this passage. And so he went back home, and now that church is thriving, and they're one of the best supporters of Israel throughout the world. So anyway, wow. Um, wow. but anyway, that's the book, Your People Should Be My People. And then I published another one called God's Promise in the Future of Israel, and it's more of a teaching book. It hasn't gone as far, and that's okay with me because the first one seems to get the heart into the people. It seems to have awakened people more. And then... Two years ago, I had I'd self-published a book called Prepare for the Harvest, but that's a self-published, that book is now called The Handbook for the End Times, and Chosen has taken it, and it was published two years ago. And so the real huge thrust of my life, I feel, is still contained in those two books, Your People Should Be My People and The Handbook for the End Times. Your people should be my people. I wrote because number one, I totally believe that it is time for the Jewish people to come to faith. And I pray it every day. I specifically hover over Isaiah uh, or Ezekiel 36. He says, when he brings them back to the land, he will take out of them a heart of stone and put in them a heart of flesh. He will put his spirit in them and move them to do his will. He hasn't done all that yet. So I'm putting my weight down on his promise. And then the Romans 11 passage that when Israel comes back, it will release revival all over the world. And and I believe that. So so that's the thrust of the first book. The thrust of the second book uh, of the Your People, of the uh, Handbook for the End Times. And I I live in this. And and I got it out of the wheat and weeds parable. No telling how many times I had read that. But all of a sudden, Those seven words grabbed me when the master said to the servant, no, don't rip them up, the weeds up. You might rip up the wheat. And he said, let both grow together till the harvest. And all of a sudden I saw it, that wickedness and righteousness are growing side by side until the end times. And Jesus interprets it and says, the harvest is the end of the age. And John describes the two harvests over in Revelation 14 because the harvest of the earth is ripe. So I totally believe that we're, this is the bad news, that we're headed toward the most wicked generation in the history of mankind. And so I don't think it should throw us when we see great wickedness, but we, it should encourage us and thrust us forward because we're headed toward the most righteous generation in the history of mankind. I really believe that. Yeah. I believe we're headed toward a more righteous generation than was there when Jesus was here, than any generation before us. I believe we're headed toward more miracles, more holiness of life, more purity of life than, and, than, than at any time in history. Because I'm a farm kid from West Texas, and I know what it means for a crop to ripen. And so, so I'm when all this stuff is happening all over the world right now with the pandemic, when the, my first thought was, this is a dress rehearsal. Yeah. We're going through some hard stuff. 
to help prepare us to go through worse. Mm. Because Jesus refers to Daniel in Matthew 24, 21, when he says that there's coming a time of distress, and that word is tribulation, ellipsis, such as never has happened. Daniel said that in Daniel 12, 1. But Jesus adds a phrase, and never to be equaled again. Jesus tells us we're headed toward the a time when his when a great tribulation distress like never before in the history of mankind. And then eight verses later in Matthew 24, he says, immediately after that time of tribulation or distress, the Son of Man, the sign of the Son of Man will be in the sky. So I believe we have to we have to get ourselves ready to walk through horrible times like people have all over the world in order to be strong right in the middle of them. So that's, yeah. I pulsate with this, yes. So, and, and I'll put links to those in the description and I recommend people go and, and, and get those. Um. Yeah, um, but you know, you, what you have said is what we have been saying for a bit. Many people see this pandemic as a time to sort of get refreshed and press pause and we're coming out and then we're going back to what we were. And, and we have been saying, no, this is a time of preparation. This is the time for us to prepare for what's to come, to come out of it stronger, if there is an out of it, but to come through this into the next thing stronger. Um, yes. So what you're saying is right in line with what we've been saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I don't think we'll ever go back. See, 9-11 in America changed some things that we'll never go back to before. And the kind of things we have to go through in the airport, and they're just, they're things that were changed. I believe this pandemic is going to change things that will never go back the way they were. And, and I personally, now this is weird maybe, but I personally thought it was hilarious that God pushed us out of our buildings. I just thought it was comical because I think he's been trying to say, you're too tied to buildings. Where'd you get the idea that you have to be in a big building every once a week? Read the New Testament. Yeah. We had temple worship for a while, but even then they were persecuted, but there were never any buildings made. Synagogues, somebody says, well, they were run out of the synagogues. I mean, everything that happened in New Covenant times was the, the church that meets in somebody's house. I mean, it was, and, and the other day we were on a phone call. Some of, I, I love all these, what's been happening in the, we're just even talking with you right now. I mean, this is crazy, crazy yeah. good. But uh, we were on a phone call, and one of the brothers on the phone call was from Iran, and he was and, it, and he was telling about the huge revival that's going on in Iran right now. Mm -hmm. And he himself is one of the shepherds that has five hundred home groups under him, five thousand people, but they're all home groups. There's no denominational affiliation. There's no there's no 501c3, you know, there's no charitable organization stuff. It's just, it's just all. And, and after he was talking about all that was going, then he looked straight into the camera and he said, please do not pray for a regime change. Please do not pray that this persecution stops. And blessed Trump, he put all these sanctions on us. It's helping the gospel go forth. And I thought, now that is a God that's how we have to feel when it yeah. gets tough it's going to be more people coming to the kingdom 
though. I mean, and, and yeah. Jesus said when he's talking about the, these parables, he says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. That's what he says in explaining the parable of wheat and weeds, that in this end time, and John picks that up, and he says, those that lead many to righteousness will shine. And Daniel 12 picks it up and says, many will be purified, made righteous and holy. So, but the wicked will remain wicked. So there, Daniel, John, and Jesus are all saying the times are going to get really, really tough. But come on, let's get, let's get tougher in Jesus' name. Let's get stronger. Yeah, and it's, the generations. Absolutely. It's um, the darker the night, the brighter the light. The, the two go hand in hand, don't they? And, um, we hear, and, and I'm sure you do, people talking about the end time revival and they're jumping up and down, they're dancing and they're, where's going to be the end time revival? And I want to sometimes just jump on the platform and say, could you just stop one moment? You can jump up and down and sing and, and shout about it if you have taken into account first the context. Right. For this yeah. end time revival. Yeah, there has to, I mean, it's, it's going to be, and, and I tell people, you know, you don't have to work a bit, worry about darkness because when you get there, it's light because you bring the light and you show up people's, I mean, when light comes in, it shows up stuff that they didn't want uncovered. And so, yes, I do believe we'll be jumping up and down, but I think we'll be jumping them down sort of privately because we're not going to be out there in the midst of all the horror jumping up and down but we're going to rejoice when we get back in our bedrooms and just at all that God is doing right in the middle of all the turmoil. Yeah. So when you're talking about, you know, the handbook for the end times and preparing for the end times, can you talk to us about some of the things that you think are absolutely key as we're moving into these times? Because we don't want to just drift into them. Right. Well, one of the things, I mean, in, the, in going back to the whole Caleb and Joshua time, one of the things that we've got to practice is that we are concentrating on the good report, not on the bad report. Right. You shouldn't, uh, Israel concentrated on the 10 tribal leaders' reports instead of what Caleb and Joshua were saying, and they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. I don't want that. And so we're going to have to learn how, I mean, right now, for example, I mean, we're talking about this right in the middle of the pandemic. We cannot get our godliness and our strength from watching the news. Right. We can't watch much news because if we watch very much, and we certainly don't want to watch the news and then go to bed because we'll be dreaming about the horror. That's not concentrating on the good report. That's why we have to know stuff like the revival in Iran. And like the intergenerational things that you all are talking about, and these, these uh, telephone calls, these Zoom calls of uniting people across all kinds of lines that we were talking about. See, that's good report. And good reports encourage people. And bad reports demoralize people. And so one of the things that is important, it's huge important for us as believers to learn to see the good in the middle of the bad. So when I hear really horrible reports like, like Iran, I go back again. I mean, Iran 
so we're told, is the worst uh, perpetrator of all kinds of horrible stuff. But when I hear this, I want to go like this. I want to, I want to pull back everything and say, okay, what are you doing in there, Lord? Because I know all the horror that's going. And sure enough, there it is. Whew. There, it's talked about the greatest, the grandest revival in the world right now. Yeah. In the country that's getting the worst press. So, and, and in China revival, the North, I, be, I believe it's a, I mean, it's a growing revival in North Korea. I mean, when the horror comes in, God is never going to be outdone by wickedness. He's always going to be there with the people who will go with him. So I think that's, that. It, I'm, I'm a perpetual eternal optimist. And I intend to stay that way. And I encourage everybody else to become a radical optimist. Mm. If we, um, we often say to people, look at what God is doing. That's what you're running with. Look at what he is doing, sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes up front. But find what he's doing, run with him and run with what he is. Otherwise, you're just going to drown in the sea of the wickedness that surround us, which isn't where we're meant to live and it's not where we're meant to dwell. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and one of the things also, I think, I think there may be a chapter on this in the handbook, but anyway, there definitely is this thought. Um, uh, Romans 5.3, Romans 5 says, you know, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But not only so, we rejoice in our suffering hmm. because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. See, there is only one way for godly character to be developed. And it always contains suffering. There is not a single biblical character anywhere that amounts to anything that didn't go through horrible times in order to get to where they can. And I, I, I jokingly, I think I even say this in the book, I'm not sure. But I mean, if, if, for example, when Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, if he had known the end of the story, then he could have said to his brothers, guys, don't worry about it. This is all a part of God's plan. I'm going to be prime minister in Egypt someday. This is all in it. Well, of course he didn't know that. And yet there was enough godliness in this spoiled young man who had, his father hadn't treated him right. I get, I mean, he, he pulled together the kinds of things anyway. But there was enough godliness in him that he stood strong in Potiphar's house, more suffering, more character building, and then was in prison for two years. And the guy didn't remember him when he got restored to the Pharaoh, more character building. But it took all that to get him to the place where he could become who God had destined him to become. That's, that's for all of us. That's for me, that's for all of us. We, we don't invite suffering, but we know it's a part. And Hebrews 12 says that consider, that consider hardship as discipline. So no matter what you're calling through, consider it as discipline. 
and no discipline seems painful at the moment, but if we yield to it, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. But the sad thing is, if we don't yield to it, it produces bitterness and resentment. Mm. So again, mm. I just, can I graciously say this? I want to shout to challenge hell out of people. <laughs> because that's what we, we got to get the hell out of people and righteousness into people. And I, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, I mean, what you're talking about now, we, we live in a time where everything has gone into chaos. Everyone's in panic. You have these global economies crashing. You've got countries shutting down. You've got people diving into, into depression. And, um, you know, wherever you look, there's something going on just to, if, if you dwell on it, it will drive you crazy. And yet you can see outside in the streets, you can see people rioting, you can see all this kind of stuff going on. And we have a choice. Are we going to dwell in that? Are we going to go the, that direction of, of entering into the chaos? Or like you Amen. said, are we going to focus on the one who ultimately, while everything else is in chaos, he's still in control. And are we going to be those people who learn to persevere, to endure through it, and to find that peace that passes all understanding? Amen. Yeah. Of yeah. course. It's, 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 there's a choice always. And, 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 and I, can, I can sound so spiritual talking about all this, but when it gets into real life, I've got to walk what I'm saying. And so my prayer is, God, make me as good as I talk. <laughs> yeah. And better. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, there, there will be people listening to this um, in the network who are in these persecuted nations. Right. That there are many of them actually living this and that they're listening to this. And um, I think we have a lot to learn from them, a lot, yeah. a lot for them to say into our lives and um, whose footsteps we can follow in in many ways. Yeah. One of the things that I also, in the, in the appendix of this book, the yeah. Handbook for the New Times, in the, in the appendix of it, I have two appendices. One has every single verse in the New Testament that has the, the Greek word thlipsis, which is translated tribulation, distress, trouble, hardship, anguish. It's translated all kinds of ways. But it's the but it's the word that's also it's the only word that's translated tribulation, mm. and so and and there is never ever ever a single one of those scriptures that says we don't go through tribulation. Not a one. It says in the world we'll have tribulation. I've overcome the world. Um, even Roman, even Revelation seven thirteen. Who are these? John says they are those who came out of the great tribulation. You can't come out of something you haven't been in. And then, but in the next appendix, it's two words that are translated rat, O-R-G-E, orge, and T-H-U-M-O-S, thumos, from which we get our thermal. And those are the two words that are translated rat. Never, ever, ever do we experience God's wrath. And I think a lot of people mix up wrath with tribulation. And so they, they, they think, no, we don't ever we don't ever go through that but look we do we've gone through stuff and and jesus warns us to be prepared to go through but you will never experience god's wrath 
So if we happen to still be around during Revelation 15, 16, when the wrath is poured out, we're not going to experience that. I mean, I think it's I think it's equivalent to to Israel in Egypt. Hmm. Uh, Israel experienced the horror of all the slavery and of the first two plagues, water to blood and the frogs. But in the third plague, from then on, Israel was there, but they didn't experience the plagues. And I think, I think there's a tough time that comes that's going to be horrible. I mean, Daniel and John both talk about saints being turned over to the Antichrist for a little season. It's a testing thing. I don't think it's longer than three and a half years. But then I believe if we're still here, we're invincible. I think we, when we pass it, we, I think people could put a gun at our heads and it won't go off. Because yeah. we're, I, I, I just, I think the future is wonderful. Maybe it's, not really getting there. It's yeah. really, what you have just said about the difference between the wrath and the um, tribulation. tribulation and making a distinction between the two is really, really important because I think people do. And sometimes I think we slip into getting those mixed up. Yeah. And not separated, right, right. So it's uh, so it's really important that we see the difference between wrath and tribulation, and and I think the church just so grabbed hold of that. And I mean, I'd rather be wrong and and believe what I do, and be wrong believing that we won't get to go through it because I can prepare my heart this way, and. If I believe and see what I don't know if you know, but uh, what happened to the Chinese revival? Mm. I just read this recently. I didn't know this, but the the American missionaries had told the Chinese that they were getting out before it got tough. You know that in in pre-trib rapture, and when the when the communism came in and the American missionaries left, some of the people thought they had been raptured. Wow! I didn't know that till recently, huh. and. And when they came back, they said, you lied to us. You lied to us. You told us we'd get out before it got tough, and we didn't. But they, but they, huge. So when Corrie Boom, Boom believed that in the latter part of her life, one of the primary roles of her life was to warn people about the dangers of believing we'd get out before it gets tough because we don't prepare our hearts. And I saw that during the Jesus movement, you know, that people thought we were, it, it was... There was so much, I mean, so many people thought that we were going to get out pretty quick. You know, that Jesus was coming back and he didn't. And a lot of them didn't endure. I mean, I, they didn't stay strong. We yeah. got to stay strong. Yeah, we, yeah. in the conferences that we speak at, as, as a part of it, we talk about how we need to take seriously preparing and raising the next generation for the years which are ahead because they're going to go through some of the darkest days the world's ever known. But we see pastors thinking on the front you know on the front row they're thinking oh what's their end times theology and so we always say to them look we know what we believe but we will prepare a generation to go through the hardest days the world has ever known and if we're wrong we've just raised a really strong generation we would rather be wrong that way than not prepare them and be wrong and if we don't prepare them and we're wrong they're going to have serious trouble yeah that's right Hey, I don't know if you did you have you ever had Michael Brown on the program? Yes, yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. You know he's he and Craig Keener 
recently brought out a new book. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's wonderful. It's called Not Afraid of the Antichrist. Oh, yeah. The subtitle is Why We Don't Believe in Pre-Trib Rapture. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and it's so kindly written. They're not trying to pull away from anybody who believes it. But they're just saying, look at this, look at this. Anyway, so it's, it's very well written. He's at, he actually yeah. has done a podcast for the network. So people are listening to you have probably heard him. But I think, yeah. I just think it is, um, I don't know, it, it, it is pragmatically dangerous to believe we're, we're going to miss it all. And I sometimes wonder, I've got no basis for saying this, but if the great falling away could not be hugely precipitated when those that think that they're going to miss it all find they haven't. No, I, 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 I mean, that's exactly, and, and uh, that is what I saw in the Jesus movement. Yeah. Because I saw people that left because they didn't know they were going to have to, they, they could stand strong for a little while, but they couldn't stand strong all the time. And so I do believe that that is. And I'll tell you another Another thing I think will be, I wonder if the last great uh, apostasy also includes the fact not understanding God's role for God's heart for Israel, because yeah. the, the church that is replacement theology and that doesn't have any role at all for Israel today, uh, besides the fact that God has broken his covenant with them, if that's the case, but the church that believes that are going to be on the wrong side of things because Zechariah 14 talks about the time when every nation turns against Jerusalem, every nation. It includes us. That includes everybody. I believe that. I believe it's every nation. And, and when, and if, if the, those people in the nations that are on the side that are not on the side of Israel are going to be the side of the only other side, and they're going to be, working against Jesus when he comes back to fight for Israel and establish his reign. So that's another reason why I think it's very difficult, very dangerous. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, you know, I sometimes say, or we sometimes say, you have the next generation, all of us are going to be accountable to God for where we stood by Israel. This isn't a little... A, a small and inverted commas doctrine you can choose to believe or not. You can be accountable one day for it. And um, I raised my children um, with a love for Israel. They they don't know a day when they didn't. I mean, it was love Jesus, love Israel, part of life, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was. And, and I would say to them, many things you don't have to die for. You know, you don't have to die for me. You can make up your mind of that choice. You don't have to die for me. But you always die for Jesus and you always die for Israel. And, and that has been in our DNA. It hasn't been a doctrine we learned. or No, and I mean, it, it, it then also that, that whole passage uh, affects me even when it comes to very practical things like elections. And so, you know, what certain party stances regarding Israel are they trying to bless Israel? Are they not trying to bless it? So even down to elections, Israel is a factor in what I do or what I decide in terms of how I vote. Exactly. And I, I believe that one of the reasons why we in America are in a reprieve, I mean, it doesn't look like it right now, but that we've been in a reprieve from judgment is because our president, who, who was not walking in the Lord, 
he's more and more. He's recently acknowledged being a new Christian and all this kind of thing, and and uh, and 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 even told somebody in the news conference of the day, well, you're the most important figure in the world. He said, no, I'm not. Well, who is? Jesus. I mean, he's he's doing stuff like that. There's something changing in him. But that's beside the point. But he he did what no president, no matter how much they promised, didn't do. He moved the embassy to Jerusalem to say, this is the capital of Israel. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have still been under a reprieve from the horrible judgment that I do believe is coming to America. You can't kill 60 million of our children by their parents and, re, and redefine who's a male and who's a female and by your Supreme Court and not come under God's judgment. I, I, I think it's, our days are numbered in America of being a major, major power. But right now, God seems to be holding it back for a season. Mm. Yeah. Well, then, you know, and when we started talking about this it's like we had better get ourselves in alignment with god over israel i mean you know i i have raised andrew saying when the day comes and it probably will where you have to decide to go and fight against israel you better be prepared to die exactly rather than do exactly. that it's a hard it's a hard message we have to give but on a positive thing again running with what god's doing rather than staying in that place yeah. We speak li yeah. literally to thousands upon thousands, right? And there's always young people, even if there's pastors and leaders, there's plenty of young people there. And we ask them all to come to the front and a sea of them in front of us. And we say to them, we believe that you are ready to have something to die for. You're ready for people to believe in you and to say, you can do this, something to give your life for. And we challenge them big time. Um, although I don't think it is big time. I think it's normal if you read the Bible. But anyway, in today's terms, it's big. And they weep, Don, they fall on their knees and they are, they're just ready and I think the problem is it's our generation with their fears and with their inhibitions are not prepared to challenge them and not prepared to run with them in this. And, um, you know, I think God is writing on this next generation's heart. He's writing, he's preparing them. And it's time for us to align ourselves with God and speak his message and his word into their hearts. And I believe 100% they are ready and, and if we don't challenge them, other people will. Islam yeah. will give them something to die for. Islam will believe in them. Islam will, will give them the guns. Islam will say there's a future for you if you lay down your life. And so... The world gives great responsibility to young people, but in the church, we're very cautious about giving great responsibility to the next generation. So I think it's time for us all to, in this time of preparing, this time of getting ready is to align ourselves with what God is saying, what he's doing. And look, you and I know there's no greater joy. Yeah. That, yeah. that There's no greater, I don't know, a greater privilege Amen. than to stand on that platform and to have the, not just stand on the platform, I have them in my life like you do, that they're my, they're my heart and my joy. What greater yeah. privilege than God would call, would choose our generation to stand and prepare this next generation to see the return of the king? If anybody can show me a greater privilege than that, I want to see it because I don't know one. Amen. You know, I was in a I was in a uh, gathering 
I, I started to say the country, it wasn't in the US, it was in a, another country, uh, in a European country. And uh, there was a, a, a person who delivered a message and I was one of those people that was delivering messages and, and this person delivered a message talking about how bad our young people are in, in today. I mean, just went on and on talking about, and, and I mean, I had already brought a positive message, but I, I didn't even, I just ignored that message, but I came back and, but basically I'm sitting by thinking, you're walking with the wrong young people. I'm not walking with young people like that. I mean, I think I'm, I'm walking with the most passionate generation of young people I've ever known. I mean, the people that these young people are, they're challenging me, come on, they're strong. And again, it's the good report versus the bad report. I mean, yes, there's a lot of young people that aren't walking with the Lord, but let's get them, let's, let's, let's challenge them. They want to be challenged. Let's bring them to God and make them radical. We've got to raise up radical generations of people. Well, you're a bit more merciful than me because you know what I say when they say that? I say, who raised them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a bit more merciful. But, you know, it, as we're thinking about preparing for the end times, I believe this message that, that that we're now speaking is intrinsically a part of it. We have we have got to we cannot omit to prepare the next generation with us. But Amen. to do that, we have got to know what God is doing. We have got to know the signs of the times. We have got to know where we're heading. Yeah. Um otherwise we're going to lead them astray or we're not going to lead them at all. Yeah. So you, Yeah. You know, one of, the, one of the things that's in the handbook, too, is um, there's a chapter on prophesy life to yourself. Right. And, and it's very important that we get rid of the negative self-talk about ourselves and we speak of ourselves like God speaks about us. And so we challenge all of our students and all of our staff. Everybody has a identity statement of who they are in the Lord that they keep and they don't. I mean. I mean, mine starts off by saying, I believe the word of God more than I believe my own emotions or feelings. And therefore, I'm righteous in his sight. I'm becoming more like him, all that kind of stuff. I mean, just who I am in the Lord. And then my wife died four years ago, and I am the anniversary of her death. I, I, I thought, wait a minute, I've got to rewrite my identity statement because I'm not a husband anymore. And so I wrote this identity statement, and then at the bottom of it, I wrote what I called a vision statement. And, it, and, it's, and the vision part of it is, at this point in my life, the primary role of my life is to be a father to my family, extended family, and others, particularly to those who, in a prophetic apostolic voice to the people of God, especially those called to leadership, challenging them through who, I almost choke on it, but through who I am, what I say, write, and do, to be radically sold out to Jesus all the days of their lives, and to embrace whatever God's call is on their lives at this particular time in their life through the help and power of the Holy Spirit. That's my role in life, is to challenge the generations. But I think we all need to get a handle on who are you guys are called to a, a special call of God. You know that. You know what you're called to. And I think we as a people of God need to know what we're called to. Yeah. Do you think... Yeah. Again, with this COVID, um, in this time of preparation, which is what we're calling it, rather than calling it a pandemic, we'll call it a preparation. 
um, that this thing of identity and knowing who we are and where we're going has probably, and, and I know it has for some, become a crisis for people because who they thought they were when it was wrapped up, well, I was a pastor on the pulpit or I was, I was um, a sports player or whatever you were doing has all been taken away. It's been removed and you are left standing saying, where am I going? What am I doing? Now, for myself, I probably had 30 minutes crisis <laughs> when it, when I realised it all, it, it, all that we were doing couldn't be done now. And I, I was like, did you as well? Yeah, well, I mean, there was that, uh, I mean, we had a whole, uh, a bit of a period of re-evaluating yeah. what, not necessarily who we were, but I mean, who we were is what we did we don't do the ministry because we we joined it 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 is us and so therefore there's the ministry and so the ministry was sort of the delivery tool well now the delivery mechanism's gone well now what are we doing how, how are we going forward and so we had that time of re-evaluating you know right. what what are we doing you know and so i think in this time it, it is while god is stripping away these things that even unconsciously we propped ourselves up with and they haven't been wrong and God, you know, talking about you with who we are has been a time of us all having to reposition in order to continue to go forward and to re-identify who are we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's the same thing. I mean, of course, you know, we had to cancel uh, two conferences and a, and a group going to Israel already this year. We haven't been in Israel. It's the first time in uh, since 1997 that I haven't been in Israel two or more times a year but That's I haven't true. been all here it doesn't look like I'm doesn't look like it's going to happen this year hmm. and and so yes you're right you have to rearrange your age schedules and all this kind of thing and and I mean but who had ever heard of zooms until all this happened <laughs> who had ever yeah. heard of this way of doing that anyway yeah the vision the overall vision stays the same but how you work it out uh, has to be changed with the yeah. season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Issachar Network was born in this time. And it is, I mean, we've been to over 40 nations in the past 28 years, but this looks as if it's going to overtake us. It's taken on a life of its own. So in this repositioning, it's going back to what is God doing? What is your place in it? Who are you? Yeah. Um, but we don't lose our identity in the in the middle of it. We We find it really. Right. So have you got, before we finish, have you got one more thing that you say, preparing for the days ahead, here's another one. guess <laughs> <laughs> uh, the um, Well, I mean, I'm just trying to think. I mean, we've got to be people of the word and people of the spirit. Right. We've got to challenge our people, young and old. I mean, no matter how old you are in Hemetsham, I, I knew a man one time, who didn't read the Bible once. I mean, he was he went to church all the time, but he, just, he never read the Bible by himself. Mm. And, uh, and, and I challenged him and he said, well, I read it once. In other words, that was enough. No, that's not. I mean, there's, we're continually getting things. We've got to get this book, these words from the Lord inside of us and have some kind of plan by which we're continually reading and absorbing his word. And we, and we read it and absorb it through the heart and of the Holy Spirit. But I guess the other, the only other thing is uh, as far as 
uh, I mean, I've, re I've really already said it, but keep going, keep going, keep going. I mean, you know, the, the, and one of the saddest stories in the Bible to me is, is, and there, there's sometimes that I don't, I don't want to read the Bible that I know what I'm coming up to because I've read it before and I don't like it. And one of the times is when I read about Solomon and he had the most auspicious beginning. That prayer that he prayed to God when he was first became king was awesome. That he just, you know, he wasn't asking for riches or anything. He was asking for wisdom and discernment. But then fast forward and he didn't do the things that the king was supposed to do. You go back to, I think it's Deuteronomy. And, and the Lord said, when you get a king, he's to write the Torah for himself. He's to read it all the time. He's not to have many wives. He's not to accumulate a lot of gold and silver. Uh, he's not to go to, to Egypt to get chariots and all that, and not a lot of horses. Solomon did all of that. And his wives, at the end of his life, he built altars to the Asher and to Molech. Molech's the god that throws babies into fire. I mean, his, I can't believe he ended up where he did. So we've got to be careful not to make any compromises. I tell people, if you don't get rid of your junk in your young years, it goes to seed and you get worse when you get older. If, you, if, if young people have a problem with sexual addictions and they don't get them surrendered, then they'll still have sexual addictions of some kind when they get old. If they're greedy, they'll be more greedy. If they're prideful, they'll be more prideful. Because we, and I've seen both. I, in, in my own grandparents, my grandparents reared me and my grandmother was a Bible reading, prayerful woman of God. And she became kinder and more generous and loving. And when she was 95 and died, everybody wanted to be around her. They wanted to be a part of her. My granddad, was a West Texas cotton farmer, and he was a worrier. And he never was able to surrender his worry to the Lord. And I'm telling you, the last several years of his life, that is all he did. I mean, I'm not kidding you. You talk to him, every word that he talked was about worrying about not having enough finances or not doing this. That's all he did. And, and uh, so anyway, I'm just saying, as we move toward the end of, to keep going, get stronger, get stronger as we go and finish well mm. in the name of Jesus. Amen. Finish well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we'll finish well if we're, if we're finishing on this earth and finish well if we're meeting him in the air, either way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Don. We really appreciate you taking the time to, to spend this time just having this conversation with us. And hopefully... We can all start traveling again and we'll get to bump into you somewhere in some country. <laughs> and blessings to you both. Blessings to you and all that you do. And Thank you. you. And you, Thank Don. You're part of you. Yeah. Thanks. God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode. If it inspired you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or another podcast platform.